Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rouge Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, another short intro for this week, because uh, then we'll be hopping straight on with uh, Kevin Fielder of Owls 247, uh, different Owls, <laughs> to talk FAU. Uh, but uh, yeah, just a uh, real quick announcements for them, and we'll get right to it. Yeah, a couple of housekeeping things. We're, 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 we haven't had a FAU guest yet. I think Rice has missed them in the round-robin scheduling feature, but now that we're down to 11 teams, is that how many teams are left in Conference USA as of time of recording? Yeah, I don't even know at this point. Yeah, we've lost track. Uh, we might, we're going to be able to, to hit a good chunk. We're, we're mid-July, I think we're getting close to halfway through. So that's pretty cool. That'll be a fun interview. We got that. The other piece that I wanted to mention to you guys I uh, talked about it on the show last week, but if you haven't yet, the Conference USA preview is out and available for purchase. You can go ahead at theroost.com slash shop. You can go pick it up there. But what I would recommend and what I'm telling you guys, podcast listeners, uh, if you've never subscribed to uh, The Roost on Patreon, you need to go there and sign up there because you'll get the season preview for free. And that's where all of the Rice-specific preview content uh, is going to be. So, I uh, already put together, that's all the positional previews are going to be there. So I, I wrote up the tight ends. That's up there. Working on currently right now, corners and wide receivers. Been talking to folks, getting some inklings and takeaway from, I guess, the end of the spring, post-spring and kind of the summer where things are going. So if you want the Rice preview, you should just sign up on Patreon. You'll get the Conference USA preview for free, which I had guys like Kevin that we're going to talk to in just a second, kind of help out and get the scoop on FAU and everybody else. So it's all there at theroost.com slash shop. Or if you want to go just skip that, get both for new subscribers, patreon.com slash at the roost. It's all right there. And uh, go ahead and join us and we'll keep going. We have, I, I was kind of plotting things out today, today and yesterday and realized that we have a ton of preseason stuff to get through over the next month. I feel like you know, we did the hump of June. June's kind of like the last lull. And in July, we'll have media days and we'll actually kind of trick ourselves into thinking that college football is here. And then August, it will be here. So we'll get there. A couple more previews to get through. And then, uh, you know, football, allegedly. It'll be fun. All right. And we're here now with Kevin Fielder to talk FAU. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? What's going on? Excited to be here. This is great. We've we've circled up with so many people that are of schools that are no longer going to be conference mates with Rice in 2023. So now we get we got to you know build some AAC rivalry hate. That's what we're working on you know, today. You know, Matthew, I, I just don't want to get too far ahead given what's happening <laughs> now in terms of realignment. This is true. <laughs> and in two weeks, <laughs> something weird happens. So at time of recording, the AAC was still a thing. I just thought we don't have to be on the podcast with people who are still going to be in CUSA so that we don't have to, like, uh, pretend as though we are not all pointing and laughing at the the, the sinking ship. <laughs> that is absolutely what is happening. Oh, like, I don't think that there's a single fan of the schools that are moving to ACU. It's like, dang, man, I really wish we were still in the CUSA after this year because I just don't think that exists. 
in any iteration of Conference USA, has anyone ever said that? No. I guess like the early days, CUSA was a pretty good league. Had some pretty good teams. I'm thinking like early, like mid-aughts. Yeah. But even then. Even then, the schools that left for the AAC then. (laughs) Nobody came back and said, yeah. So we'll see. New... For now, AAC, talking uh, a little bit of FAU football. I had to refresh myself and remind myself that the head coach of FAU is Willie Taggart. Is it, it is it actually Lane Kiffin, like, wearing a mustache, or have we moved on? Uh, I've, I've, I've tried to confirm this since since he's been hired, and I, I can indeed confirm that it is indeed Willie Taggart and not Lane Kiffin putting on a disguise every Saturday. And how do we, what's the, what's the mood on Willie Taggart? Because I know, you know, after Lane's kind of the, he's his own cat, but when he gets hired, it's kind of like, we know we got a guy who's probably a power five head coach and he's here and we feel like we got something special. And then he had some, some great seasons and Willie Taggart comes in and I know the reaction was missed because mixed, he'd kind of fallen backward into that job in some respects after not working out at Florida state and then is kind of been up and down so far. So are people still, still in on the Willie Taggart run or are they kind of, do they want lane back or what's the status of, of Willie Taggart and him in, I guess year three is coming. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of weird because if you look at when Willie Taggart took over that first year was the COVID year and, FAU had a lot of problems with COVID and they, you know, there were games where they were playing completely shorthanded. And so they didn't have a great year, but they still managed to make a bowl game, even if they didn't win it. Then the next year, they start off really well. I think at one point they were like four and one or something or four and two, five and two or something along those lines. And it was looking like they were going to make a bowl game. And then in, in a sense of like in the middle of a week, it just seemed like everything went off the rails and they were losing games that they should have won, you know, ODU, Middle Tennessee, winnable games that they were just losing. and then. So I think at that point, a lot of fans started to lose some trust because, you know, obviously the expectations had been set so high by Lane Kiffin in the sense that, you know, FAU was winning 10 games and winning Conference USA and beating SMU in a bowl game. So the expectations for really Tiger coming in were already completely high. And, you know, and personally, in my honest opinion, maybe a little bit too high for him when he took over the team and, you know, the roster just wasn't where it should have been. Uh I think like right now the the reality is Willie Taggart needs to show something this year because there are going to be a lot of fans that may be on the fence of whether you keep Willie Taggart or not, or or whether you believe in Willie Taggart or not. And then, you know, if there's not success this year, that fan base that has support for him may start to dwindle down. If there's another five and seven or even like six and six season. In your eyes, how much of that is is fair? Because I, we talked about the AAC move, and I know there's a lot of coaches and programs in that kind of mix saying, okay, 2023, like that's the year we have to have our ducks in a row. And, and FAU had some good years under Lane Kiffin, but it, it's not like the Owls have been, you know, a perennial stalwart in, in Conference USA before that. They've had some good years, but they haven't been a juggernaut by any means. So, how much of those expectations do you think are, are reasonable and how much did, you know, the previous regime kind of boost things up and make it harder for the next guy? 
I, I think it's exactly that that latter point that you mentioned. I think with Lane Kiffin having that much success because again, he wasn't just going eight and four or you know, seven and five and they were being successful and they were winning bowl games. They were winning the conference who was a tournament or championship and they were, you know, beating teams like SMU in the, the bowl game. So the expectation for Lee Tiger coming in was already super high. And, you know, I kind of tried to temper expectations for some, I think, because, you know, if you looked at that roster, it just wasn't near top of Conference USA level. You know, if you look at the teams that have historically won Conference USA, they are deep. They're very talented at the top. You know, FAU, I think, had some top end talent, but, you know, they were trying to replace an entire wide receiver core with, you know, a whole bunch of guys who hadn't had the same playing time. So, I think that first year he kind of got a mulligan. Then last year, you know, you ask him, you ask anyone on that team, at times it was inexcusable the way they were playing. You know, the last four or five games of the year, I, I believe it was four, they were just they just didn't look like a, a team that was going to, you know, consistently put together a good performance to win the game. And, you know, that's something that Willie Taggart mentioned a couple of times throughout those final four games. And so, you know, and I think a lot of people going into that year had these really high expectations of, well, you know, last year it was COVID. So this year, you know, you you got this first recruiting class in and this should be a really good year and it started to look like it. But, you know, I think that definitely Lane Kiffin having as much success as he did early on definitely put a lot of large ex- expectations on Willie Taggart going into the season. Well, and, and how does that, that it's, it's interesting you mentioned kind of the, the churn at the end of last season and things not, the team just not playing up to what many thought they were capable of, which is interesting because you got, especially on offense, you got, you got a lot of the same faces coming back. A lot of the pieces on the offensive line, the skill talent, the top guys are coming back. And then you got Nikosi Perry at quarterback. I, this is one of the things that I think is so, so interesting, especially if you go to the top end level and you get your Alabamas, and your Ohio States, and you look at their returning production, you just kind of shrug because you know, they got to do this. They'll be fine. But I feel like at the, at the group of five in the Conference USA level, I, it's hard for me to know because on paper, I look at the roster and there's a good amount of returning production and just the, the counting stats uh, for FIU, particularly on offense. But but like you said, how much of that, how, how can we project that to be better? And what's the sense of the confidence level that, that the offense, if we're starting there, can take that next step and, and get out of that funk? Because... You know, they they just kind of, like you mentioned, faltered down the stretch. I, I think there's a lot of expectations for this offense coming into next year because of, you know, it just starts with who uh, Willie Tiger has hired for that offensive staff. Uh, you know, Billy Gonzalez is a, a former wide receiver coach at Florida and had recruited a whole bunch of really good talent at Florida and developed a lot of good talent. You know, the running backs coach, Dante Bimbledon, has coached. Uh, you know, at the Power 5 level for a while, FSU, Oregon under Willie Tiger, And then, you know, at the offensive coordinator, spot uh, you know for, former middle tennessee offensive coordinator brent dearman you know beat fau with the fourth string quarterback and fau last year you know for their offensive struggles i thought overall had a pretty good defense you know it was just a matter of you know the offense not being able to get on you know stay on the field consistently i think with all of that and then you take into account all the guys that they bring back uh, you know and Kosi perry running back johnny ford their top two wide receivers uh, you know a good majority of their offensive line returning as well there's reason to think that this offense should be better. And there's reason to think that this offense can almost in a way elevate themselves to, you know, towards the top of the conference USA again. And, you know, maybe they're not the best offense in conference USA. I think if you 
ask most people, they'll probably say that it's you know likely going to be UTSA or potentially West Kentucky, depending on what you think about just the overall offense there. But I think FAU has a really good chance to be one of those top offensive teams in the conference again. And it really just starts with who's been hired. And as you mentioned, just bringing back so many guys, you know, for another season. And then talk to me a little bit about what you saw at quarterback from Nikosi Perry, because last year, uh, I guess the end of 2020, they'd brought in, well, they had four or five like scholarship transfer quarterbacks that they brought in to kind of plug and play and find somebody. Uh, Perry emerged from that. Of course, he he had his moments at, at Miami and then, you know, ultimately end up getting benched and, and transferring. And we've seen, I feel like in Conference USA, every iteration of the former Power Five quarterback that didn't make it in transfer down to different levels of success. Where is Perry on that spectrum and kind of what's the general vibe? Is this guy a guy that you can count on to to be a difference maker or do you just need him to, you know, game manage, not make mistakes, control the football, things like that? Where where where's he uh, as far as the offense, uh, offensive scheme and how he fits in? It's so interesting you mentioned, Perry, because I think that like if you ask every single fan in FAU's fan base, they're all going to have a different opinion to an extent. There were some people that I think wanted more, and I think that's a very logical place to sit, is like, you know, there was a lot of successful parts last year, and particularly I thought he showed a lot, you know, on the ground and, you know, on a lot of deep throws that should have been caught for longer gains and, you know, potentially touchdowns, but, you know, there were circumstances where the wide receivers didn't execute or, you know, whatever there, but I think also times it just felt like he wasn't playing up to that level that you'd expect a power five drop down, you know, a guy who started games at Miami uh, and, you know, a lot of people who I'd spoken to who played, you know, with him at Miami had spoken so highly of, of his potential and, you know, his ability to, to put it all together. And it just felt like it was not consistent enough. And I think that going into this year, uh, you know, with the new offensive staff, that's, I think kind of fits him a little bit more, you know, as good as Nkosi Perry is as a lot of things, he is pretty much at heart kind of like a gunslinger. You know, we saw that a lot at Miami where he was like inconsistent in the sense that he would just try and throw balls, you know, into situations where he shouldn't have because that's kind of what he is. Uh, but I think that going into this year with an offense that, like Brent Dearman's, that's so reliant on, you know, quick game and, and playing short to set up deep balls, I think you're going to see a lot better of Nkosi Perry. And I think the one thing that, will definitely carry over from last year is just the fact that he didn't turn the ball over a lot. He had seven interceptions in 12 games. And I think that, you know, if you tell FAU fans that you'd have another season where he only had seven interceptions in 12 games, just from that aspect, it would be successful. And then I think it's interesting, a lot of familiar faces coming back, but I feel like it wouldn't be FAU if there weren't a couple, uh, you know, P5 transfers coming in that could maybe possibly make a role for themselves on the offense who who do you kind of figure Lejante Wester is kind of the guy that maybe fringe all conference if things go together but he's he's kind of the only guy that I would really classify as a proven option in, in this passing game is there anybody else that kind of you think might step up and and be you know the the second third uh reliable contributor there yeah I, I mean Jaquan Burton at times had a lot of success last season, but I think at times it was just he couldn't keep on to the ball. He was just inconsistent at times. You know, he he had some problems with drops throughout the year. 
I think that'll get figured out though, just with time. Uh, you know, I like Jamal Adrian a lot. Uh, you know, a freshman coming in, he redshirted last year because of an injury. Uh, he had a lot of success uh, locally in high school, and he was someone that I thought could come in and definitely contribute early on. I think that this year will be a potential, you know, possibility for him to contribute. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Power Five transfers. Uh, I feel like it would be remiss if we didn't talk about a few of them. Uh, you know, FSU wide receiver Jordan Young, I think, is someone who had a lot of hype coming into college, you know, at FSU, and it just couldn't put it all together. He comes into a situation where he has a a good chance of taking one of those top three wide receiver spots, uh, you know, particularly on the outside, uh, you know, the tight end position, you, you ask me any day, I'll feel like I have the different answer just because there's so much unproven talent in that tight end room. And, uh, you know, the good thing I think for FAU is that there just won't be a situation where FA, uh, you know, where FAU is going to play a lot of two tight ends. So you just need really one to step up, uh, you know, but I think it really starts with the running back room, particularly USF, uh, former USF transfer, uh, Johnny Ford, who was really successful last year. Um, and then they bring in Nebraska transfer Marvin Scott III, who I just think is going to be such an important piece because he can really take some of the load off of Johnny Ford and allow Johnny Ford to stay healthy and maintain, you know, that level of high-end talent that we saw at times last year, you know, throughout the year. And I believe there were some some questions, at least into spring, uh, about Johnny Ford's status. He's going to be able to go and and fit into this offense this year, as far as we know? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything about him not. I know that he's currently participating in, uh, you know, summer workouts with the team. And, I, you know, it seems as of right now that he will be a part of the, the team moving forward. But, you know, obviously things can change in college football in a matter of minutes. So as of right now, uh, you know, it, it seems like he will be a part of the, the team moving forward. Nothing makes sense anymore. Really Future... Doesn't. Future AAC running back Johnny Ford, maybe current. <laughs> Who knows? That well, that that's offense. Uh, anybody else? I, I'm I'm missing. I I know it's it's interesting because, especially with so many transfers coming in, and depending on where they come in, I'm not all early enrollees. I know that there's sometimes there's that one or two guys in the spring that kind of pop and are interesting. Is there anybody that kind of caught your eye? throughout the spring that you think has a chance, maybe not just necessarily to start, but to, to be somebody that, you know, fans could know their name by mid season. I, I don't know about skill positions just because I don't really like to judge skill positions off of the spring, but on the offensive line, I think that there's two names that stand out to me a lot. It's Alex, uh, Alex Atkovich, a former IMG Academy uh, player. I believe he at one point was committed to FSU during his, you know, recruiting process had chosen FAU largely because of relationship with Willie Taggart. And last season, towards, uh, near the end of the year, he was really good at right tackle for FAU. And he was one of the bright spots at that position. And then at left tackle, uh, Rutgers transfer, Brendan Borner, is going to start. I, I don't think that there's any expectation that he won't. Uh, and, you know, I think that he's going to pro just provide a lot of high-end talent at that position. And last season, you know, throughout the year, FAU would just kind of struggle at times to get consistent play out of the, the offensive tackle positions. And there were times where, you know, there would either be really high end, you know, moments for them and just some some moments where you just kind of shake your head in, uh, you know, in, in the fact that they struggled and uh, almost like a metaphor for the entire offense at points. But, you know, I think that Bordner and and Atkovich really have a chance to secure the left tackle and right tackle spot uh, respectively and give FAU, you know, at least some sort of reliability at those positions. 
I think this is this is great. We we talk about the offensive line when it's it has problems, but <laughs> we need to give some credit to the big guys when things are going well or we yeah. have high, high expectations. I I think that like there were there were some low points last year, but there were also some points where you looked and said, "Man, if they can put this together for an entire game or two, this could be really good offensive line." I think that just another year in in the system and just another year on campus should help a lot of these guys get a little bit more comfortable. So I don't think that this offensive line is going to be as, be as inconsistent as it was last year. I think that you're going to find some more consistency from the line. Okay, and while we're talking about the trenches, I want to flip over talk about the defensive line. And this is something that I thought was interesting. So when I was putting together the Conference USA preseason preview, I went into it and we talked a little bit, Carter and I had on, you know, some of our offseason podcasts about the Rice defensive line and kind of where does it stack up in Conference USA. I felt really good. And then I kind of started going through rosters and talking with folks like yourself and realized there's a lot of really, really good defensive lines in Conference USA. Where would you kind of put FAU in that picture? And then kind of who are the, the key components that kind of make that line so dangerous? I, I I honestly don't know because as you mentioned that there's so many good defensive lines in Conference USA and you know there are just so many good defensive linemen in Conference USA and I feel like there just is a bunch every single and year. they just keep getting drafted yeah like, I'm, we've I'm, had a couple defensive linemen drafted like several years in a row like Charlotte Louisiana Tech UAB I, I'm Western Kentucky believe, I'm starting to believe that like these these Conference USA teams just have like this this memo where it's just like develop as many good defensive linemen as you can. We'll figure it all out later, but just develop a whole bunch of dogs on the defensive line. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just corner the market of group of five defensive ends and defensive linemen getting drafted. Uh, you know, for the case of FAU though, I think it's, it starts with Evan Anderson who may be the biggest defensive lineman in conference USA. I'm not sure of the exact, uh, you know, where he ranks there. He's 300. He's listed at 365 pounds and, he looks all of it, but he's also just incredibly disruptive, incredibly athletic for that size. He's got he's got some explosiveness to him. He's going to really make things work. Last year, I thought he should have been a, an all-conference nominee. Um, I think Jalen Joyner, uh, one of the defensive end spots, had a really successful season two years ago. Uh, last season, I think, was one of their more productive defensive linemen. But just overall, last year, they just didn't have enough depth or enough talent you know, at times for that defensive line to really – work and there were times where you know they would allow a lot of big gains on defense because the defensive line just couldn't put it all to get all together uh the in the offseason they went out and they got a couple of guys uh jakeem green is a again a power five transfer there's a lot of them uh on fau's roster not only who transferred in this past uh offseason but just throughout uh you know the seasons who have stayed on the roster jakeem green uh formerly like nebraska and south carolina brings enough size and I think could put enough talent on that defensive line. I really like the addition as well as, uh, of, as well, uh, Juco transfer Xavier Peters, who was really productive at the Juco level. I think he's going to add a good pass rushing element to the defensive line. I think, I don't know where they rank right now. I think like ceiling, they could be one of the better ones in conference USA. I think floor is like your kind of average more in the middle where you have a couple really talented guys, but you still just have question marks. And I think that they may fall close to the floor, kind of like in the middle of the two. I, I don't think that you're going to really see a perfect defensive line from FAU. And again, like in conference USA, if you don't have a perfect defensive line, you're not going to really rank at the top of that 
that that position ranking just because of how many there are. I think I've decided, and this is very unofficial, but you just need to have at least one dude. Yeah, you like, you, need to, you need to have one guy that you sit there and go, you know, and then the, the joke on Twitter is he's got that dog in him. I think you need one guy who's quote unquote got that dog in him on that defensive line to to really be successful. The X-ray with the dog in it is like my new favorite meme. Oh my god, it's amazing! <laughs> Wait, well, I'm I need to I need I'm behind on this meme. It's it's uh, as a reference to the he got that dog in him thing. It's uh, people will like what up you know. It'd be like a highlight of a player doing something good, and people will like quote you with a picture of an X-ray that they've like poorly photoshopped a, <laughs> a dog into the chest X-ray. Welcome to the Rich Podcast. Explaining meme content. <laughs> it's a podcast uh, on Liverpool, frankly. <laughs> we 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 here for all people. <laughs> I didn't think we'd be breaking down memes, but I'm behind on my meat and culture. Is that right? I, I guess that's what we'll call it. Yeah, something like that. But I, I think it's interesting because Evan Anderson is is a dude. But he also lines up kind of in the middle. And I think that's kind of the, the question mark, because especially we've talked about, well, to be fair, I'm thinking back through the list. There have been some defensive linemen from the interior that Conference USA has had drafted as well. So maybe it's it's not all exterior guys. But but when we think dominant defensive lines, I, th- I think I tend to think guys on the edge yeah. that get those sack numbers. And whether that, unless you're Aaron Donald, then... Then you're just a superhuman. Right. Then you are the line by yourself, and that works. But uh, no Aaron Donald's in Conference USA. Probably. Where did Aaron Donald go to school? I should know this. He went to Pitt, so he's an ACC boy. Oh. Does that conference still exist? Uh, As of right now, yes. It has to be in two weeks, maybe not. (laughs) At time of recording, we're at a timestamp this list all the conferences and how many members are in them. Is the Pac-10, the Pac-12? Wait, the Pac-10 was a thing. Yes, now it's the yeah. Pac-12. As of right yeah. now, not looking very good. Yeah. The only conference that actually bothered to change the number in its name, and now that's where we're we're so far past numbers at this point. The Big Ten with 18 teams. Does that mean like they display 10 of the logos bigger than the others in prominence? <laughs> yes. So the Big Ten and the Little Eight? <laughs> I am very much down for them to just like keep numbers, but just make them really obscure numbers now, like the big 16 and a half. And just confuse everyone. If nothing matters. Yeah, if nothing matters, let's just make really fun conference names that confuse everyone. I'm down for it. Yeah, why not? The Starship Conference. (laughs) Space-themed away games. Uh, Anyhow, we'll get there. Rice is doing a... uh... A, a NASA day. That'll be fun. There's a tie in there. But back to FAU. I guess uh, Florida, there's there's a space connection too, right? There is. Maybe yeah. not in Boca, but. Yeah, not quite in general. general. I think it's about two ish, two and a half hours away from Boca, maybe three hours. Uh, but it is do, in Florida, so. Do Floridians view Texas the same way as, as Texans view Floridians? Where well, let me rephrase that as in it, from a from a Texan, there's like like Tallahassee and then there's South Florida. Yes. And it's all it's all very together. Much so. very it, very is, is Texas to a Floridian 
uh, Houston, Dallas, and then just everything else. Yes. I, I think that if you ask a lot of Floridians what they think of Texas, it's like, oh, cool, they've got Dallas and Houston and San Antonio maybe, and then it's like a whole bunch of other cities that just kind of count for those areas. And in the case of Florida, it's like, oh, yeah, you've got Miami, Orlando, Tampa, and maybe Tallahassee if you're a golf football fan. But if you ask Floridians, it's like, oh, we've got Miami, Orlando, and sometimes Tallahassee because it's just so completely removed from everywhere else in the state because it takes, I think, like nine hours from where I am in the Boca area to get to Tallahassee. Uh, and in for comparison, it takes about nine hours to get to the Georgia border if you drive just straight up. So Florida's a really big state. <laughs> Pretty big. Maybe not yeah, Texas big, but nothing is Texas big. Yeah. Anyhow, which is why it's only fitting then that I feel like there's so many. Well, maybe this isn't, isn't fair because I, I, I was about to say there's there's so many. Uh, transfer portal guys that uh, FAU is, is brought in previous regime and, and current regime, but that's just kind of the modern college football now. Yeah. Do, do you, have you have you kind of just felt like there's a uh, almost now that there is no cap on transfers that that the the number of transfers that have been brought in in this cycle that are actually expected to in some way at least compete and try and contribute. Not you know the the JUCO depth guy you bring in to, to add a number, but have you kind of seen a notable uptick and like, well, shoot, it could be one of these three guys at, at safety and one of these four guys is going to play at the defensive ends and things like that. Yeah. I think that like for FAU, it's like they just brought in a whole bunch of transfers, uh, you know, this past year and they put a lot of focus there. And I think particularly it was because of their talent level, uh, you know, at points last year and their struggles that Willie Taggart kind of went into the off season going, we need to get guys who can contribute immediately. And we need to get guys who have some experience. So they, they went out and they got a whole bunch of those guys. I think particularly if you ask Willie Taggart, he would like to kind of step away from that for a little bit. And you've kind of seen it already with the way that he's recruited the 2023 class where so many guys are high school guys, uh, you know, particularly so many of them are high school guys from the state of Florida. I think all, oh God, as of right now, they've got like nine or 10 uh, committed for the 2023 class. I think all but one or two of them are, uh, you know, Florida guys, uh, you know, who play in Florida. So I think w Willie Taggart wouldn't love to use the transfer portal as much as he's had to, but just to get numbers and get guys who can contribute immediately, he's kind of had to. So uh, this past year, I think he brought in like 11 or 12 transfers, uh, you know, a lot of them P5, uh, Power 5 transfers, uh, and then a couple of like group of five guys who started a lot. So I think that you're going to keep seeing FAU kind of add a couple transfer guys, but I don't think it's going to be as large as it was this past year where they added 16 guys or whatever or like 12 or 13 guys whatever the actual number was yeah i feel like almost to some degree everyone's kind of getting adjusted they gave everyone a shiny toy it's the portal you can go get whoever and then eventually we'll have to say well we, we need guys that'll be here and play and <laughs> I, I i would with this new like no transfer cap i would like to see a team just try and build an entire class of just transfer. <laughs> it's texas state I'm pretty sure they already did it. It, it. it is Texas State, and I think like USF to an extent has tried to do that as well. So I guess we've already gotten the answer as to how effective it can be. It hasn't worked yet. We will say that. <laughs> Maybe in the future. We'll see. But the, the reason, part of the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about transfers, uh, especially because I was looking at, I, I think the the gap, at least when I'm looking on paper at this FAU defense. I have some questions in the secondary, 
some of that I'm kind of, you know, how much of the, the rush was a part of that. We'll see. Uh, but linebacker is the part where I'm like, I'm trying to go through and figure out. I'm like, okay, who's going to start at linebacker? And uh, Morvin Joseph was the probably the the blue chip big guy at, at, that they brought out of Tennessee that I think they were really excited about. But but I don't really know if there's an answer uh, at, at linebacker, at least from what I was looking at a paper. Anything stand out during the spring, especially for a, a unit they like to play what, three to four linebackers and the, the the scheme that Taggart's going to put in, right? Is that right? Yeah, it, it's going to, I think, uh, Todd Orlando, their new defensive coordinator, has played a lot of three three five. So it's, in in retrospect there, it's three linebackers, but FAU's going to want to rotate. So you may really need four or five guys who you can really rely on. And, you know, you having problems with it, you're not alone there. I'm also having problems trying to figure out who are the starting three and who are kind of the guys you rely on off the bench. Uh, I think Morvin Joseph should have a spot. Uh, I'd be shocked if he didn't have one of those spots. Um, like, I think uh, Eddie Williams had a lot of success at points last year. I think that he should be competing for one of those spots. Then you have other uh, linebacker transfers from the Power 5, Jaleel McCray from Florida State, Jamie Petway from Missouri, there are a whole lot of guys throughout that linebacker room who could really contribute, uh, you know, at points to uh, to really make that a good linebacker room. But as of right now, it's a whole bunch of like talented players. But for me personally, I just don't know if I have like the starting three or, you know, even like two guys nailed on for that starting three. But I think hopefully midway through spring or uh, fall, rather, you should have a better sense of who those guys are. Uh, but as of right now, I you've got a couple guys who I think could definitely contribute there. But it is a a very uh, something to watch in the the fall for sure because of just how many guys there are that they brought in to to help fill out that group. Which is interesting because I feel like and everybody's different uh, a conference across conference USA and, and I guess college football in general. But I, I feel like there's in conference USA is just always like the difference between top and bottom. We talk about it all the time is you have some, some B plus teams and some C minus teams, and they're pretty much all within that range on the, on the G five spectrum. Then maybe FIU. Um, They're not on this podcast, so we can throw a shot. Um, But it's interesting that there's a lot of folks in FAU sounds like this, especially on defense, that there's so many things that I feel like we, we always say, Oh, we'll figure it out in fall camp. But I feel like there's only so much we can figure out in fall camp. Does it help that, or is it a good thing or a bad thing that, that FAU opens up the, the season? I believe they were the one of the teams they got, did they get a week zero game added? I know they, they get, get yeah, they get, Charlotte right off the bat and then uh, Ohio southeastern Louisiana this is a year where there's there's no Ohio State there's no Oklahoma at least does that kind of early non-conference schedule make you feel a little bit better about kind of working out the kinks as you go yeah like I think if you asked a lot of people who are FAU fans you'd rather not have that Charlotte game week zero because it's a conference game that you'd have to really have some kind of kinks figured out but uh, for FAU, in the sense of like having to figure things out, I think it may kind of come in knowing that you have the quarterback, you've got the running back, you've got at least two of your wide receivers, and you've got most of your offensive lines. So you really don't have to figure out a lot there. 
you should have most of your defensive line figured out in terms of who's going to contribute. It's just probably a matter of finding out like who starts in those particular, uh, you know, smaller things. Then you have the linebacker room, which uh, again, you ask me, I think that there are four or five different possibilities there. Uh, and then the defensive back room again is going to be a situation where you've got like four or five different possibilities. So if they can figure out that back seven, they can be a really talented team that really does help. That they're not playing, uh, you know, the, the really top end P five team, where it's just kind of like, you know, they're probably not going to win and they're going to get blown out. And it's not going to be a good gauge of like where they stand. Uh, you know, their, their big time P five game is Purdue this year. And, it's a winnable game. I don't know if they'll win it, but it's at least a game that they should be able to compete in and not, you know, have that 40 or like that 55 to six loss or whatever, the 55 to like 13 loss. But it does help that that game and the UCF game are kind of later on in the years so that you have the games against Southeastern Louisiana and Ohio to sort of figure things out and then figure out who's starting where. Uh, but yeah, you should really probably by that Purdue, that UCF game, have some source of what your diff- starting defense is uh, to kind of go into those those games that are going to be, I think, the really the deciding factor of if this FAU team is truly good or if it's just going to be kind of an up and down year like it's been. And for the record, you did you did say more or less that all I have to do is figure out the back seven of the defense, which is more than half. Yeah, it, I know. Well, I know there's some guys, but it is not as simple as just figure out the back seven because that is seven places that you have to figure out or eight. <laughs> uh, like it is not that easy, but it does help. I think that they don't have to figure out a lot on offense, and that the defensive line is pretty much set in stone to an extent. That it's just a matter of kind of finding the talent of the group in those both of those spots that kind of rise to the top. Because I think if you if you asked me and, you know, they had to figure out who's starting at wide receiver and, you know, who's potentially starting at or left tackle or something, I'd go, I've got no clue, uh, you know, like the expectations or anything, just because having to figure out that many pieces is a little bit challenging. But yes, for, for clarity reasons, figuring out the back seven is not some very easy, simple task like it's a game of Madden where you can just kind of like put the highest <laughs> overall. But it's a lot better than what it could be. This is true. At least there's, you know, 10 pieces to put into the seven holes as opposed to we have at least four and we don't know. Yeah, it's I think a more of a matter of just finding out who rises to the top as opposed to like, do we have a second cornerback on the roster? Do we have a third linebacker on the roster that we trust? But they, they do still have to figure those guys out. And then what's kind of what are the other what's the other piece? What 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 what's a question that kind of you have for this team that that I didn't ask. What's something I, I need to ask you about this team that that is interesting or noteworthy, or we're still trying to figure out? Uh, kind of piggybacking off what I was just said, you have to find a way to get two cornerbacks from what you currently got, because uh, you know, as we kind of talked about, uh, you have to figure out the back seven, and it's going to start with the cornerbacks because you lose your top two snap, uh, tap top two in terms of snap counts last year in Zion Will or Zion Gilbert rather, not Zion Williams, and he plays basketball. Uh, and um, Deshaun Moss, uh, you know, both of them were very con- contributable players for them last year. So you have one in Smoke Wungeon, who just really is one of the best nicknames, I think, in conference USA. Smoke is just such a great nickname. But then you have Damon Hill, a, a Central Michigan transfer. You have Michael Antoine, a Iowa State transfer. You have Jaden Williams, who is a 
you know, a incoming another freshman. Uh, you have Justin McKithen, who's a freshman. You have Jabari Hill, who's a freshman, uh, you know, a gray shirt freshman. So this is really his first time on campus. So you've got to find two out of those five guys to kind of figure it out because you're going to have to find something, especially with a, t- uh, with a defensive coordinator like Todd Orlando that loves to play man defense and put your cornerbacks on islands. If you're if you don't know who your third or your second cornerback is, you're going to have a lot of trouble defending some teams, uh, you know, particularly I think like a, a Cincinnati or not a Cincinnati, but a Charlotte, you know, with a guy like Grant Dubois, who is one of the best wide receivers in conference who is saying in group of five. And, uh, you know, later in the year, Tyrese Chambers from FIU, you know, you're going to have to find someone to figure out who to guard those guys. And if it is it smoke or is it Damon Hill? I'm not sure. But, you know, you really have to find someone to fill in those two spots next to smoke Munja. Well, it's interesting that, that you mentioned the Charlotte game right out of the gate because Chris Reynolds, uh, maybe by default, I don't know. He's, he's, he's an all conference USA quarterback coming back. The quarterback position is just kind of bleak about conference USA. He's one of the most experienced guys there is. And then you mentioned, well, yeah, there, there's also Victor is, Tucker. Yeah. This is the first team uh, preview we've done where the, the, they actually know who their quarterback is going into the season. So uh, that kind of <laughs> this speaks is to the true. Of, I mean, come on. There's like, <laughs> there's like three teams in conference who say that know who their quarterback is, right? It feels yeah. like. Maybe. See USA, we've got defensive lines. A couple years ago, everybody had running backs. Quarterbacks, not so much. <laughs> we have, we have yeah. quarterbacks. We just don't know who's really good at them, but. Yeah, or you could the be North Texas. Are, who has five. are they good? Who knows? <laughs> we'll find out. Hey, Jason Bean is still somewhere scoring touchdowns against Texas. So I don't know if he ever scored against Texas after transferring. I remember seeing highlights of him in his Jayhawk blue scampering for touchdowns. And all the Conference USA quarterbacks that left Conference USA to be great. The long list that that is. <laughs> um, oh good you got the joke um yeah so we'll we'll see it's it's gonna be interesting i i don't know how it's gonna turn out nobody does but i guess it's interesting that that fau has the pick your poison right of you know we have these guys we gotta put in the pieces and figure it out whereas i feel like there's other teams to different degrees where are, here are the 11 guys we have and we're gonna ride or die with them because yeah. that's what we got <laughs> Yeah, and I think FAU, even last year and the year before, were kind of in that situation where it was like, we've got some really great players. I just don't really know about the depth. But now this year, it's a kind of a completely different story of like, man, we've got some really potentially good pieces. We just got to kind of figure out who's playing where and, you know, who's starting where. So, uh, you know, diff- definitely a different situation for FAU and you know, particularly going into fall workouts, so, you know, fall camp, trying to figure out who starts where is going to be a very interesting thing to follow, especially when you start your season with a conference game like Charlotte. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, my, my brain in the back of it is thinking through how many Conference USA quarterbacks am I 100% confident will have their job at the end of October? And it's a very small list. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm confident in Perry. I... I think I, think I am. Have a job. Perry should have his job by October. I think he is far more talented than the rest of the quarterbacks currently on the group. And I think that he last year, it, they rode with him last year, even during some some struggle points. 
I think that he's going to be good enough, and I think he. I don't know if he'll be like a conference quarterback, all conference quarterback, but I think he'll be good enough to keep his job, and particularly good enough to make this FAU team potentially pretty good. Potentially pretty good. That's the new slogan. You can buy I, it on the T-shirts. I I just don't want to put too high of expectations because I've tried to like temper a lot of people's expectations. So if I go on a podcast talking about, oh man, this team's going to be a top three team in the conference, it's 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 a guarantee. Then you know I kind of look silly when I write in in you know, late July of this team could potentially win eight or nine games, but there could also be a situation where they're not that good. So like temper the expectations, but I think that this team should be good. And I think that this team should be better than they were last year and, and win eight, nine, like eight games or something around along those lines. It's just really how they look when they play the bigger opponents, because that's kind of been the problem for FAU historically is like, they can really beat the teams that they're supposed to be. You know, they can they beat Willie Taggart's undefeated against Charlotte, but can they find a way to beat a power five team? They haven't beaten one since Minnesota in like 2003 years, 2004 or something. And can they can they compete with a team like UCF, who the last time they played UCF, they got blown out at home? So that's going to be kind of, I think, the biggest thing to figure out is can they be good enough to compete or potentially win those games? Well, we will see. If you find out, let us know. Yes, I, <laughs> but... will, <laughs> I will let everyone know if I if, if I find the secret sauce or like the, the Mike's uh what's the what's the space jam reference? Like the Mike's secret the, the squirt bottle. Uh, yeah. oh yeah. Secret stuff. Yeah, maybe 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 Willie yeah, Taggart yeah, really Taggart's secret stuff, but as of right now I don't think he does. Well there we're you go. Visit, well we're not gonna you know, let you we're not when I was at Rice, uh, Rice broke a very long streak of winlessness against Power 5 opponents against uh, none other than Purdue. So you've got, uh, got, a great, got a great spot on the schedule for that. History is on our side. <laughs> Makes me think, who's the uh, longest-running Conference USA school without a Power 5 win? There's got to be a couple. FAU's probably up there. It's actually not FIU because they beat Miami two years ago. Oh. Yeah, it did. The turnaround of the program that wasn't. Oh, so, man, that was painful. Um, I have to think on that. Yeah. I, There's a couple. Charlotte just got on the board, so. Charlotte got on the board. I, I don't know where West Kentucky's did. I don't think they beat them last year. So. I feel like back in the day when they were throwing for 500 yards a game, they had to have beaten somebody. Yeah, I think Western Kentucky's done it relatively recently, but I, they may have beat Vanderbilt. Recently. North Texas beat Arkansas a couple years back. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it seems like every team, to an extent, has found a way to beat a Power Five team. Is it is it UTSA? Did they beat Illinois. I, that was like last season. I'll I have to remember. Check. I'll double check real quick. But <laughs> this is. I I they're, they're, I think they did. But we're doing it live. I, am, I should I, probably I, remember. Their they, did, they did beat Illinois, so they are not on this. Okay, list. they're not on the list. We'll figure it out. We'll report back next week. Um, anyhow, after we get through the CUSA Power Five victories, uh, we won't. We do have to run you through the lightning round before we let you out, as is customary. We try our best not to warn anybody that it's coming, so you just have to give it your best chance. I am very confused as to what's happening right now. So I guess you've done a great okay, job. Okay, good. 
This is good. We want you to just fly by the seat of your pants and just objective is your first gut response. We're going to run you through eight or 10 questions or so about FAU and Conference USA. And just first thing that comes to your mind uh, and go. There are no right answers, but uh, we will uh, edit in a like family feud buzzer if we don't like your answer. All right, let's do it. We haven't done that yet, but we might need to do that card. We'll, we'll look into it. Um, anyhow, all right, let's go. So FAU this year, 2022, who leads the team in touchdowns? Uh, Johnny Ford. All right, how about on the other side of the ball? Who leads the team in sacks? Jalen Joyner. Okay, this player for FAU isn't going to be an all-conference pick heading into the season, but they probably should be. Jontae Wester. Ooh, that's spicy. There's good wide receivers in this league. I love Jontae Wester. I've loved him since two years ago when he was a true freshman, and I was I was really riding the, the hype train, so I'm going to keep riding the hype train because he's going to be their starting wide receiver. So This was really that, – that was probably the hardest, hardest all-conference position to put together. It was it was tricky. All right, we'll see. We'll see. I believe it. Uh, rookie of the year. Jabaru. Ooh, no, no. Scratch that. Scratch that. Jamal Adreen. I'm going to count him as a rookie because he played like two games last year. Okay, there are very loose rules to this game, so that'll count. Uh, team MVP. TJ Young. TJ Young. Why? Uh, I think he is one of the best safeties in Conference USA. Last year, had a really successful year. He comes back. He had like two touchdowns last year. I think that you know he'll have another year in the system. He'll be really relied on to make a lot of big-time plays. And he's just a flat-out playmaker, man. He's he's such a fun player to watch because he's he always seems to be involved in the play. All right, then FAU finishes a team. Bottom, middle, top of Conference USA. Top of Conference USA. Top, top? Okay, now your pick to win Conference USA. How top is top? UTSA wins Conference USA. Okay. That's probably going to be a trendy pick this year. They're really good. <laughs> I, this this is correct. They also they, they took the humble route last year when we were talking and kind of sizing them up of the, uh, we'll see, we'll wait and see. And then they didn't. They haven't turned full death machine UAB. Who has a new head coach now, so we'll see. That's a different podcast. Okay, last one. Uh, the year is 2024. It's more specifically, it's September of 2024. Is Willie Taggart the head coach at FAU? Yes. How confident? 65% confident right now. That's pretty good. I feel like a, a four-year tenure is... Maybe average-ish right now? I, I, this is, this I, is more I, confident I, than, than most USA teams are in keeping their current coach at any given time. Yes, I, I think that like particularly FAU would rather not have to lose their coach to the Power Five again. I think Willie Taggart has talked about wanting to stay at a school for a while because he's already kind of had his chance at the dream job with FSU. So uh, I think that he'll be there... I, I don't even know if I'm 65. That was probably a little bit too <laughs> Well, like 55-60% confident that he's there in 2024. Well, we've heard both ways. We've heard he, he, our coach isn't going to make it in two more years because he's definitely going to get fired. And then we've heard the, oh, well, he's definitely going to get promoted and claimed by somebody because he's yes. that good. 
I think that Willie Taggart, he has a son in high school right now who's class of 2025. I think he's going to want to stay, if he can, for as long as he can, to make sure that his son, because he's talked about like his, his other son, Willie Taggart Jr., not being able to you know, stay at a high school consistently because they were moving. I think he probably played at two or three different high schools. I think that he'd want to try and keep as much stability in that sense. And that's something that he kind of talked about when he took the job, uh, you know, December a few years ago. I guess we'll see. We we will see. Uh, the, we have no problems pontificating about college football at any point of the year. Whether or not we're right, that's a different question. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Uh, well, that that's all we have. Uh, where can we kind of catch up? Where do we need to get, I say, tuned in on the Owls, but that's us. Also you. Are you aware that there's going to be three Owls in the conference that FAU will be joining theoretically in a year? Yeah, the the AAC is cornering the market on, on FBS Owls. Yeah, I, I, I was going to actually offer something. I think that we should do something with all three of the the Owls teams, like, uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys watch, like, the MLS or something, and they have, like, the Cascadia Cup, uh, you know, where it's, like, the Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, and they all compete for each other. I don't see uh-huh. why the the, the, uh, the Owls team has not done the Owl Cup yet. I'm not going to make the trophy because I don't have that kind of talent. But. Well, once once we get acquainted with uh, a Temple beat writer, we do have to do the three-way Owl cast heading into next season. The Owl cast. We'll the form owl- it. Wait, wait, I ready? Are you ready? We'll form the Owl-Lions. Uh, well, g- given the general uh, how well alliances <laughs> have held up in college football recently, I don't know if that well, like prognosticates well. I feel like we should change the name from Owl-Lions just so that we don't have to deal with the whole... <laughs> we'll workshop it. We have a year. Alleged. We do have a year to do it, so... Uh, but uh, where where can we find you and read about the the version of the owls that reside in Boca Raton most of the year? Yeah, so you can follow my personal Twitter at the Kevin Fielder, uh, owls twenty four seven dot com uh, at owls twenty four seven on Twitter are the the best places, uh, you know, objectively of course for for FAU coverage. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are probably the best places to, to keep on track with the Owls. Uh, I, I will warn everyone that if you follow my personal Twitter, you will also get my takes on fast food and, and particularly sandwiches. So just, just just be aware of that. We do love sandwich content. So. Next time. <laughs> it, is the only, it is the only content I really live for outside of like college football. It's <laughs> just sandwich content. So. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks to Kevin for hopping on with us. Uh, Thanks to you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week continuing our opponent previews. Uh, So we'll see you all then. And Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.